Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you to will and to do, to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like for I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I might that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you, after you all, and was full of heaviness, because, he, because that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, him, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because of the work, or because for the work, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. You may be seated. Good morning. Before we jump in here to the text, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. God, we're grateful to you for another opportunity to gather around your word this morning. We're grateful for the chance to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word, we would see that these words are your words. And so, Lord, we ask that you would teach us this morning. Revive us and strengthen us according to your word. Lord, you've placed us in a family of believers. You've planted us in a church among brothers and sisters who share the same name, Christ follower, Christian, the same resemblance. We are made in your image. We're called to the same mission and purpose to glorify, honor, and exalt the name of Jesus. This name that we've already read is above every name. And at this name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Christ is Lord. Father, as we study your word together, I pray that you would help us grasp the need for connection and ministry and Paul in the text today is going to be speaking of two ministry assistants. 
servants of the Lord who partnered with him in the advancement of the gospel. So, Lord, we ask that you would show us, each one, the importance of our place in the body of Christ. Impress upon us the need for one another, our need for you. And remind us that in Christ we are fit together. We are connected to our living head to be witnesses to him all of our days. Empowered by the power from on high. Your good deposit. This promised Holy Spirit. We thank you for being a good father. You are good and you do good. Teach us just now, we pray, from your holy word. Amen. Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes are being sent out all over the country uh, in this coming week. And these boxes will travel a great distance. They'll be in the hands of many volunteer workers. Uh, These boxes will be shipped in trucks. Some will go by boat. Some will go by plane. At some point, these boxes will eventually be opened by a young boy or a young lady. And when they open these boxes, they will be the recipients of gifts sent to them by your family, perhaps. Maybe sent a box or two. What you send, they will open up and receive. And we pray these boxes will bring great joy to the hearts of every child who receives one. This past week, was able to send some money to a mission that I think many of you are familiar with here in downtown Indianapolis, the Wheeler Mission. They help provide food and especially this time of year, uh, Thanksgiving meals for the homeless and provide shelter and minister to those in need. And uh, for the amount that, that we sent, I was told that some 22 plus meals will be provided. You know, around the, the Thanksgiving holiday, it was interesting for me to, to think and consider some 22 men coming into the mission, sitting down at a table to enjoy a full course meal for them. What was sent, in this case, the money, provides the means for food to be available. The 22 plus men who will eat as a result of what was sent, they are the recipients of what will be for them a free meal, a wonderful meal. And we have the joy of knowing that these 22 plus men will be fed and nourished, cared for during the holiday season. We have the joy of knowing that what was sent has the potential not only to feed a belly, but to put within earshot of each one of these folks the good news message of the gospel. Whether you send a shoebox or whether you send money to supply food or other various needs to various mission organizations, know that you are 
participating in the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 5. Right? Partnership in the gospel. You are sharing together. You are partnering with others to advance the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we all have at some means, at some level... We have means to send forward a a box or send forward a monetary gift, a simple cup of water, perhaps. Something to further God's kingdom. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 25, verse 40, near the end of his parable. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. In other words, he's speaking to what you send, what you pass on to someone else. You do it unto me. Mark 9, 41. Jesus says, for whoever gives you a cup of cold water, a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And here we see the emphasis upon what someone else sends, what someone else passes on to you being in Christ. The Lord has called us to serve others in the name of Christ. And while our service directly benefits the recipients here on earth, the Bible has us take notice, church. What we send to someone else, food, water, gifts, etc., when we serve others through various means, we are doing it to Jesus. We are serving Him. Let's not forget that. In Christ, we are sent to serve. In Christ, we have been commissioned with a purpose. And really, that's the big idea. That's the The main part of the message, I believe, from chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Sent to serve, commissioned with a purpose. Sent to serve, commissioned with a purpose. God's redemptive plan for man involved ascending. I think it's important, even before we look at Philippians 2, 19 to 30, that we, we kind of take a step back and we get a, a big backdrop, a big picture here of this whole concept of sending or being sent or being commissioned on a particular errand. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. It's important as we read this verse to understand God's redemptive plan for man involved Ascending, And this sending was not of shoeboxes. This sending was not of monetary form. This sending was not uh, simply giving food or giving water. Although no doubt the one that was sent provided food and provided water. He sent his son. You know, and I was thinking about this and, 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 and it really dawned on me that many times in the message... Uh, at the end uh, is, is where the, the point is driven home at the end and, and all drawn back to the one, Jesus Christ. I think it's fitting here in this particular message to make sure that he's put forward up front as we think about what it is to 
be sent, what it is to be commissioned. And as we talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus, that we understand the big picture here. 1 John chapter 4, 9 through 11. In this the love of God was manifested, made known to us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there's a purpose. God sent his son, commissioned him with a purpose. He was coming to take away our sins. Praise God, he sent him. Beloved, if God so loved us, if he loved us to that degree to send his son, we also, Kevin read this earlier in in chapter 3, verse 16, if God so loved us in that way, we also ought to love one another. We see this sending aspect also Proclaimed in Galatians 4, 4 through 6, Paul says there, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? That we might receive the adoption as sons. That we might now be part of his family. You see, his sending of his son made it possible for you and me to be included in his family. In fact, he goes on and says in that Galatians 4 passage, And because you are sons, God has sent forth, not only has he sent forth his son, listen, because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit into your hearts, crying out, Abba. Father. God sent forth His Son. God sent forth the Spirit into your hearts. Romans 5 5 tells us that very same thing, that that was exemplified as God's love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite hymns begins this way God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. Love that song. God sent his son. I think it's important and significant, church, right up front, to just dwell on that for for a second and to thank the Lord Aren't you glad he sent his son? Really, this is the big picture of the text. We're we're talking about Timothy being sent. Epaphroditus gets sent. And this whole idea of being sent and what it is to be sent, what it is to be commissioned to a particular task or ministry. All of this has its roots in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must understand that right from the get-go. 
Paul speaks of sending both of these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Both of these men advance the gospel, partner with Paul in the work of Christ, but both are also participants with Christ in that they, like Christ, are sent out. Okay? These men are sent to serve. They're commissioned with a purpose. Their lives become encircled with that of their Lord. They become intertwined with Christ in terms of their purpose. Christ came to show forth the love of God. To serve and not to be served. Right? Timothy and Epaphroditus exhibit this same spirit of love. Sent to serve. Commissioned with purpose. Both of these men that are spoken of this morning from the text are connected with this man, Paul. So I've got Paul's name up here. There's a link and a connection that these two men have with Paul. A very important link. So with the Lord Jesus and the promised Holy Spirit as the backdrop for this text, remember God sending his son, and God and Jesus we see in the scripture partner together in the sending of the Holy Spirit. We then look at the text. One question I'd like to ask up front, and it's really more of a personal question than anything pertaining to the text. I'd like you to think about this morning as we read through chapter 2, 19 through 30. Do, do you, do we as a body, do we see ourselves as a sent people? Do we see ourselves as a people commissioned by God during our stay here. You ever thought about your time here as a commissioning from the Lord himself? What is it to be here for this time? I'll introduce a follow-up to those questions with a passage of scripture that we'll also come back to at the end. It's in John chapter 17. These are words by Jesus as he's praying to the Father before going to the cross. And in John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus says these words. Remember, he's praying to the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. By the way, this comes right on the heels of the verse that says... uh, Sanctify sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I have been sent into the world, and just as I've been sent into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Directly? Who are the them? It's those who were with him, serving alongside him, his disciples, his followers. By extension, that includes every single one of us here who are in Christ, who are following Jesus who uphold the name of Jesus as the one we serve. As followers of Jesus Christ, a people who are not of this world, just as Christ himself said, he was not of this world. As Paul would say in this book of Philippians, uh, a few chapters, or one chapter here down the road, we are citizens of heaven. The text here points us to two men who ministered with Paul in the gospel. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Both are sent. Both are commissioned with a purpose. And yet they share, if you read, they share some unique characteristics in their respective service unto the Lord. 
So really, in thinking about breaking this down, looking at the text, I know sometimes we, uh, we like to be able to see from uh, the verses themselves. You know, verses 19 through 24 will be specific to Timothy. And then verses 25 through 30. Find it interesting. I don't think it was planned this way necessarily, but uh, six verses given to Timothy, six verses given to Epaphroditus. When we look at 19 through 24, we ask the question, what do we learn from Timothy being sent to serve? What do we learn from Timothy about being commissioned with purpose? I think first of all, we see, and we see this in verse 19, we see why Timothy is being sent. We see why he's being sent. And so uh, we think about the why. Uh, verse 19, if you follow along in the, in the scripture with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now Paul is about to send Timothy to the church at Philippi. The purpose or result clause in this text tells us why he's sending him. That I may be encouraged, that I might be glad when I know, when I hear back from Timothy, how things are with you. I think context would tell us that Paul is not necessarily uh, looking to hear like um, what show they watched lately. I don't think Paul's looking forward to hearing um, whether they uh, had a a particular party for a gathering for uh, a birthday. I think what what we see is we look at the context of of Paul and his concern for the churches. We read his letters to the churches. What he's looking forward to hearing from Timothy is how are things with you, church, at Philippi, in regard to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking to be encouraged in the faith. He's looking to hear back from Timothy the status of their walk with Christ and to be encouraged to know that the church at Philippi, this church that he was very much a part of establishing back in Acts 16, He's longing to hear back from Timothy that they are growing in the Lord Jesus. I believe that's the heart of what he's desiring to know. It's important for us to understand that in sending Timothy to Philippi from his presumable Roman imprisonment, uh, that was quite a distance to travel. And remember, there was no such thing back then as traveling first class Long journeys were tough. They were oftentimes dangerous. And Paul, it says here in the text, is hoping, he's trusting, literally hoping in the Lord Jesus. He's hoping not in his own strength. This is not of his own opinion. He's hoping in the Lord to send Timothy to minister to Philippi. And he's hoping to hear this good word from the church when he hears a favorable report of their affairs with the Lord Jesus Christ. The proverb writer says that a good word makes the heart glad. I believe in many ways that's what Paul is longing for here as he's about to send Timothy and commission him to go to Philippi. He's going to come back 
to this idea and thought in verses 23 and 24. So just kind of hold that. In fact, if you look at 19, it says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. Verse 23, uh, verse 24 actually says, but I trust in the Lord. This, the same refrain is repeated. His, his confidence is in the Lord. His hope is in the Lord. We sang that this morning. Pray that our hope is in the Lord too. So not only do we see why he's sending Timothy, we also see who Timothy is. We see who Timothy is, which explains why Paul would desire to send him to Philippi. Why is Paul sending this guy? Well, I think the text tells us a few things about Timothy. Uh, and here, I'm just going to give three from the text. First of all, I think that this is a significant one for Paul. Uh, I have no one like-minded. Verse 20. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Literally, Paul says, I have no one equal-souled. That's the literal rendering there. There's no one else I can send who will sincerely, who will genuinely care for your state. I was reminded of, of the way Paul introduces the beginning of his letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my true or genuine son in the faith. I was also reminded in thinking about Timothy and how he was so like-minded, like-minded. He was equal soul. The things that Paul were concerned about, those things that Paul was after in his life, Timothy was about those same things. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's this long list of things, uh, persecutions and perils and dangers that Paul encounters in his life. At the end of that list, you get to verse 28. This long list of sufferings that Paul's gone through for the sake of Christ. He concludes, he says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul has such a deep concern for all of the churches. He suffered many things, but what weighed on him daily was the state of the churches. As he traveled around the Mediterranean, he established churches and appointed elders in every city. The church was heavy on his mind. And Timothy is equal souled with Paul in that he too cared deeply for the church. The Bible gives us clues about Timothy showing up time and again in Paul's stead to serve in the church. To the church at Corinth, we read these words in Corinthians chapter 4 verses 15 through 17. He says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten, remember he's writing to the church at Corinth, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Listen to what he says next, right after this. For this reason, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you. Don't, don't miss the connection. He's calling the church to imitate me. And he says, for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach in every church. Wow. Equal-souled, like-minded. 
If Paul can't be there, he can send Timothy and know that Timothy is going to be able to share and minister and communicate in the very same way because Timothy is all about Christ and all about his concern for Christ's church. To the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians, in fact, look at this. In 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 3. When we could no longer endure it, picking up at the beginning of the chapter, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Don't miss those descriptions. To establish you, church at Thessalonica, and encourage you concerning your faith. Here's one of the examples I mentioned earlier. I don't believe he sends Timothy to Philippi just to check on, see, hey, how you guys doing? How's it going? No, I believe he sends them to Philippi to check on their spiritual pulse. Just like he did here with Thessalonica. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, we told you before when we were with you what we would suffer, we'd suffer tribulation. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. There it is. I sent. Who'd he send? He sent Timothy. I sent Timothy to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, brought us good news of what? Of your faith. And love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you, this mutual edification. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. This was fresh water, good news. We see this time and again in the scriptures. Paul sending Timothy to the church. Paul says, I have no one like Timothy. I have no one like Timothy, church at Philippi, who's going to take a genuine interest in you. Near the end of Paul's life, he writes these words to his son in the faith, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. You see, Timothy is like-minded. He's equal-souled with Paul. And Paul is telling the church at Philippi, I have no one like-minded, no one is equal-souled who will show genuine interest and care for you. He goes on in verse 21. This is not all about Timothy. Verse 21. We'll go back to Philippians. Not only does he not have anyone as like-minded. We'll just put the word here, loyal. He doesn't have anyone as loyal. What stands out about this young man, Timothy, is his willingness to look out for others' interests. Look at, look at the text. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. 
I have no one who, who is like-minded about the church, about, about Christ himself. But, but here, he says, all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Isn't that quite a contrast to what he's putting forward here in verse 21? Those who seek their own, not the things of Christ. What's he saying? Those who seek their own are, are far different from Christ himself because Christ didn't seek his own. He came to seek and to save, but he also came to serve and not to be served. He, as we've already heard this morning, he was willing to lay down his life. Earlier in Philippians 2, he's been talking about how the church is to view and value others in verses 3 and 4, chapter 2. He's provided then a picture of Christ in verses 5 through 11, showing how Christ was willing to be obedient to the point of death on a cross. And what followed then from last week's text is an application of what to do, what not to do in operating like Christ in obedience to the Father. See, Timothy is the right person to send. He's equal-souled. And he's in this for the right reasons. Boy, that's so important. He's loyal. He's loyal to the cause. He's loyal to the one whom he's serving. He has a a keen sense of, of the things of the Lord. Timothy. He's unique in that he has a sincere interest in the church's spiritual welfare. He's concerned about their spiritual pulse. And oh, to have someone to minister on your behalf who puts his whole heart into serving unto the Lord. Timothy has been discipled by Paul. He's seen Paul in action. He's heard Paul preach and teach. He's seen how Paul has handled himself in the midst of hardships, difficulties, dangers. He's watched Paul imitate Christ. Tell me, church, the folks that you surround yourself with, can the same thing be said by them about you? Do they look at you and and see your life in such a way that you are walking with Christ? I want that, they say. Is that what they're after? Do they see something unique and different in you? Do they see that you are like-minded with Christ? Do they see your loyalty to Christ and the things of Christ? Paul is saying to the church here, there's no one else like Timothy who's going to seek your interests. There's no one like Timothy who's going to forego his options for your sake to minister and serve you with genuine care. You know, this is is such a noteworthy thing about Timothy's life, his loyalty, and just how he goes about his work, raising up the things of Christ in his life. I tell usually referees that are starting out, you immediately set yourself apart from the majority of other officials when you give a great effort. Just give a great effort. Just get where you're supposed to be. 
I mean, there's a whole lot of other things that we can be concerned about, and, and you'll come to learn those things the longer you stay in this. But as you're starting, give a great effort. Hustle. A number of guys don't do that. Paul's saying about Timothy, what, what sets this young man apart is his desire for the things of the Lord. Push pause for a moment. Those of us here who are in the Lord, who are in Christ, we all ought to desire the things of the Lord. This ought not be a super Christian. This goes for all of us. But Paul is raising up and he's telling the church at Philippi, hey, I've got a guy, I'm sending this young man, Timothy, to you. And I want you to know he's loyal to Christ. He's been loyal to me. He's worked with me. He served with me in the gospel. He's, listen, church at Philippi, listen. He's interested in pleasing God with his life. He actually seeks the interests of others ahead of himself. Paul says in, in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Paul says in Corinthians Chapter 13, that love chapter, you remember love? Love does not seek its own. If you're going to really apply and live out love, biblically, love does not seek its own. Loyalty to the things of Christ marked this young man, Timothy. Like-minded with Paul, loyal to the cause of Christ. Look on at verse 22, we see a third I have no one. We'll word it this way. Who lives the life. We have, I have no one who lives the life of Christ. Not only is he like-minded, not only is he loyal to the things of Christ. He, he lives the life. Look at verse 22. But you know. You know his what? His proven character. You've seen it. You've seen Timothy's life. I'm not blowing smoke here. You've seen it. <laughs> You've seen him in action. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. When you read Acts 16, you see that Paul ends up bringing Timothy along with him as he makes his journey into Europe. Timothy is with Paul when Lydia is converted. He's with Paul when... He gets arrested and put in prison. He's privy to the jailer and his family coming to know the Lord. Acts 16 is such a wonderful chapter. The church that gets established in Philippi knows the tried and tested character. That's the idea between proven. He's been tried. He's been tested. And the church at Philippi knows this about Timothy. And he describes this there in verse 22. He says, as a son with his father. He served with me in the gospel. There was a day when the father had his son work alongside him, grooming him, teaching him, discipling him, training him to take over the family business. The sons worked alongside their fathers that they might learn the business, that they might know how to operate it when dad was ready to step down or could no longer operate it effectively. Notice that the text says that Timothy served with me 
in the gospel. It doesn't say that Timothy served me. He served with me. He served with me. Alongside of me. In fact, the word is the, is the word that we get slave. He served. He was as a slave. Timothy served with Paul. And you go back to chapter 1, verse 1. What's it say? Paul and Timothy. Who are they? Who are they identified as? Bond servants of Jesus Christ. That's, that's really what he's talking about here. Is capturing their identification back in chapter 1, verse 1. These two men, Paul and Timothy, are bond servants of Jesus Christ. Martin, in his commentary, says that in the church of God, the only claim to position and honor is based on the service to the cause of him who came to take the form of a slave. If you notice in chapter 2, verse 7, there was also one, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who came, being in the form of God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, taking the form of a what? A bondservant. What's Paul and Timothy doing? They're taking the very same form of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unashamedly. Some wonderful characteristics about Timothy. Paul is saying Timothy has been approved. He's served alongside me as a bondservant to Jesus, concerned about the furtherance of the gospel. I'm planning to send him to you that I might be encouraged when I find out how it is with you. But I want you to know I'm not just sending, church at Philippi, I'm not just sending a warm body. He's not coming because he's getting a hefty salary to do this. He's the one I've chosen because of his proven character. Because he's living the life. He's loyal. He's like-minded. That's why I'm sending him. He has a love for you, church. And knows what it is to be sent to a church. Being sent to serve is right down Timothy's alley. Being commissioned with a purpose to further the gospel work in the church at Philippi. Timothy is on board. He's ready. He's willing to serve. I believe that's the message that Paul is sending to the church at Philippi. Those last two verses, 23 and 24, he comes back. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, immediately. But when? Here, here we get a different piece of information. As soon as I see how it goes with me. As soon as I find out how things are going to happen, what's going to turn out with me? Am I going to have to be here longer or am I going to be released? But I trust in the Lord. Not only is he going to be sending Timothy, but he says, I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall come. Remember, he had this similar conversation back in chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm torn between the two. But what tipped the scales was he realized, remember, that it was more needful for him that he remain in the flesh. And that to remain in the flesh meant that he was going to have fruit from his labor Paul moves in seamless transition to Epaphroditus. Chapter 25 through, or excuse me, verse 25 through 30. The hope is that Timothy will be sent soon. Lord willing, he says, I myself will be coming as well. Yet, 
Or meanwhile, verse 25, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. We see those words in 25 and 26. And we can ask the same question we ask of Timothy as we look at this passage. What is it that we learn from Epaphroditus being sent to serve, being commissioned with a purpose? I think, first of all, we see why Epaphroditus is sent. Just like we saw why Timothy was being sent, we also see in the text why Epaphroditus is being sent. Now, I think it's important we understand, first of all, that Epaphroditus is the one thought to have been the carrier of this letter to the church at Philippi. He came to Paul from the church at Philippi. We know this from the text itself. If you look at chapter 4 and you look at verse 18... It says, indeed, Paul says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from whom? I've received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see, Epaphroditus came from the church and had given, on behalf of the church at Philippi, some things to Paul to help serve him and minister to his needs. So the initial purpose for his coming is to minister to the needs of Paul on behalf of the church. And I do believe that the church at Philippi is sending Epaphroditus to stay with Paul. This is not some uh, drop-off provisions and then leave. I believe the church really had in mind to send Epaphroditus that he might stay with Paul long-term to minister to his needs. Paul, in the text, is sending Epaphroditus to Philippi. It's important we understand, not because he failed in his commission being sent from Philippi. And Paul is going to be very clear about this, making sure the church gets a proper understanding of why Epaphroditus is being sent back to the church. The text tells us he had gotten sick. Now, we're not clear. The text doesn't give us all the details. We're not clear what kind of sickness this was. We're not sure whether he got sick en route to take care of Paul. We're not sure whether or not he got sick at some point after he arrived. But he got sick. Severely sick. And the bottom line on why Paul is sending Epaphroditus to Philippi, we see this in the text. There's two things here. He was longing, verse 26. He was longing for you all, since he was longing for you all. This is the same kind of longing that Paul shared for the church at Philippi when you look at chapter 1, verse 8. It's the same, same word. But God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus longed for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. But I believe... And some here have have speculated that Epaphroditus was homesick. Depends on how you might define homesick. I I do believe more than likely his longing to be with his church family is connected to the latter part of verse 26, which he was not only longing for his church family, but he was distressed. He was distressed because the church had heard that he was sick. That word distressed is the same word that's used in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 14, verses 33 and 34, 
Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes, remember, Peter, James, and John. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Same word. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. What do you think about this? The, the church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul's needs. They, they partner in the gospel by sharing with Paul some gifts, supplying for him what he needs while he's carrying out the work of God. But at some point, Epaphroditus gets sick. Paul testifies in the text that this sickness was almost unto death, near to death. They were, Epaphroditus and, and death were next door neighbors. That's the idea. They were close to death. That's how bad it was. And now someone with Paul is having to minister and take care of Epaphroditus' needs. A bit awkward, perhaps, for the church at Philippi. The church, perhaps having heard of Epaphroditus' situation, is concerned not only about his health, but also feeling like an unnecessary burden has been given to Paul. As if he doesn't already have enough to deal with while he's in prison. Now he has a sick Epaphroditus to be concerned with. Epaphroditus longs to be with his church family and he's distressed knowing that the church at Philippi knows of his situation. And therefore Paul considers it necessary to send him to Philippi. In verse 28 he says, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. I may know that he's back in good hands with you. So Paul considers it necessary. It's why, that's the why he's being sent. But we also see here in the text, again, like Timothy, as we looked at Timothy, we see who Epaphroditus is. And we see how helpful he's been to Paul's cause. So we, we look at a few bullet points here from Epaphroditus. And look, look at how he's identified um, in verse 25. He says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. The first on the list is uh, my brother. My brother. Now let's be clear, he's not talking about um, brother like as in... Um, the brother that's sitting next to you in the chair right now. Right? But this is a brother in the Lord. He's, he he is, is describing Epaphroditus as a brother in the Lord. A spiritually connected brother in Christ. Epaphroditus is doing what a brother in the Lord is, is supposed to do. Provide care and be concerned about him. We also see in the text, as we keep looking at the text... He's a fellow worker. Fellow worker. I love this description. You know, there are many folks today who like the idea of being a part of a church family, but they perhaps don't like to have to do any work. There are many today in the church, and I'm not specifically talking about hope in Christ per se. The church is a big picture. There are many who enjoy coming and taking a seat and being what we would call a consumer 
not doing any work. Paul is describing Epaphroditus as my fellow worker. A worker along with Paul. They were about the same work of the gospel. And Paul commends the work of his brother to the church of Philippi. He wants the church to know Epaphroditus is a worker. A worker for Jesus. Love this third one. Fellow soldier. That kind of brings to mind some things, doesn't it? Some images. He's deemed a fellow soldier. He's not been distracted from his purpose here. His sickness, though very real and life-threatening, has not caused him to lose his watchfulness as a soldier of the Lord's cause. He's communicating to the church. This is my fellow soldier. He understands. Epaphroditus gets this, the spiritual nature of the battle, and he's fighting the good fight of faith with me. He's not allowing his belt of truth to slack one bit. He's fighting the good fight. My brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. We'll just put down here, servant. He says, this is who Epaphroditus is to me, but then in the middle of that list, he says, your messenger, your messenger, your apostolos, that's the word, your sent one. And he's not an apostle as we might think of an apostle in the scripture. No, in the general sense, he's an apostle. He has been sent by the church at Philippi. He's their messenger. He's their messenger to carry out what? He's been commissioned to go and take care of Paul and his needs. Paul is making it clear that Epaphroditus ministered to his needs. He wants the church of Philippi to know, even in the midst of this sickness that he undergoes, he has ministered to my needs. He was useful. He was helpful to me. And so what he's doing here is he's providing clarity to the church at Philippi that his time here, while in part sick, was fruitful labor. He served me well. I want you to know that, church. It would be incomplete if we didn't include this last one. This last one may very well be the marker of this man, Epaphroditus. And to kind of set that up, I think it's important we we look at... um, Verse 29, and and before we look at 29, I think it's important to note with with this sickness that Epaphroditus had, I love the, the insertion here, but God had mercy on him. God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That would have been, it would have been really hard for Paul. He's in prison already, but it would have been really hard for Paul to know that Epaphroditus had died as a result of this sickness. But God spares him in his mercy. He sends him then the more eagerly. Look at verse 29. Receive him. He's he's calling the church and instructing the church here to receive Epaphroditus in the Lord. Receive him. Because 
the idea here behind receiving um, has in mind, one of the common usages of this word has in mind to await uh, and, and really thinking about the, the coming of Christ. But there's also another popular usage, and it's the, worst, uh, it's the usage that Paul himself uses when he uses this word twice. He uses it here, he uses it one other place in, in Romans 16. And when he uses the word, he's using it um, in the term of welcome or receive. To, to receive favorably. Why would he command them to do this? Why would he feel the need to do this? Because I believe the church in many ways may have felt some kind of guilt. Think about Greek culture. By the way, we're talking about church in Philippi, the region of Macedonia. Back in the day, there was this concept of shame and guilt. That was a pretty big deal for uh, the Greek society. And having heard news that the one they sent to Paul to minister to his needs was the one now needing to be ministered to, there was probably a little bit of guilt, shame, a little bit perhaps of um, tension there uh, in the relationship between the church and Epaphroditus. And so what's Paul doing? Paul is essentially giving a, what we would call it today, as we're putting a resume together, we have references Paul is, is serving as a recommendation, if you will, for Epaphroditus. He's, he's wanting the church at Philippi to understand, hey, look, church, I'm putting my stamp of approval on this man, Epaphroditus. You sent him, and he served my needs. He didn't fail. He didn't drop the ball. Receive him in the Lord. Welcome him. In the name of the Lord Jesus, welcome him. Love that. Receive him with all gladness. And hold such men. Hold, hold him in high regard. Value him highly. Deem him precious. Verse 30 is going to tell us why. In fact, this is the fifth and final note here that I'd like to share with you about Epaphroditus that I think is a highlight and a marker of his life. A risk taker. The command in verse 29 to receive him with all gladness and to hold such men, such a one as, Tim, as Epaphroditus, hold such a one like him in high esteem. Now he's going to give the reason in verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, for the work of Christ, don't miss that. He came close to death He came close, nearby, to death. Not regarding his life. You might underline that descriptor there. Not regarding his life. The word there for that phrase is talking about, it's really a gambling term. You might think, well, that's kind of odd. Why would a gambling term be there? Listen, here's what it's communicating. Epaphroditus as a risk taker. He was staking his very life 
on the things of Jesus Christ. You know, when folks are gambling and they're rolling dice and they're betting and they're doing all those things that they ought not be doing, here the word is spun for a good purpose and a good cause and allowed us to be able to see this life of Epaphroditus. He is willing to bet, quote-unquote, his life, stake his life on serving his Lord. He's risking it all for the sake of Christ. Powerful witness and testimony, church. Willing to risk it all. One writer said that his life, Epaphroditus, his life teaches us that there is no such thing as a risk-free life of faith. Epaphroditus, simply put, is a package carrier. Think about it. He was sent originally as a package carrier to take care, provide gifts, supplies for Paul. A package carrier. Isn't it interesting how the Lord uses these people in the Bible? Shepherd boys. The smallest, the weakest of the clan. Think of Gideon. The Lord has a way of using these people and calling these people and sending these people and commissioning these people with a purpose. Epaphroditus is a brother in the Lord, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a risk taker for the cause of Christ. It's been said that here before us in chapter 2, 19 through 30, we have two guys in whom salvation has been worked out. Would you agree? Based on what we read in the text? These two men have been working out their salvation. And God has been working in them to accomplish and to do his goodwill through them. These two men are sent to serve. They've been commissioned with a purpose. I'll close with the verse we read earlier. Jesus' words in John 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world... I also have sent them into the world. Church, I would want you to see that you are a part of the them in that text. He has sent you, sent me into this world for but a time, right? To be on mission. We have been commissioned with the gospel of Jesus Christ we have a purpose that's beyond ourself. And during our stay here, which is brief, we've been commissioned to see that others know. That's what I love about Timothy's life. He lived it. They knew his proven character. Do others know your proven character? Do others know that you are like-minded 
in terms of the things of the Lord? Do others know your loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they have to guess? Can they see it? Are you like Epaphroditus? Are you a good brother or sister in the Lord to someone else, to the body of Christ? Are you a fellow worker? Do you see your place and role in the family of God as a place where you can go and just take it easy and sit back and not do anything? Or are you on the lookout for how you might work and participate in this gospel ministry? Are you a fellow soldier? Do you quit when things get hard? Do you tend to throw in the towel because you don't get your way? Do you tend to be distracted by other things? The soldier doesn't get distracted. The soldier is intent on carrying through with his purpose, carrying out for his commander, the one who commissioned him into service. Are you a servant? of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to risk? And let me ask it this way as we close. What is it that you've been willing to risk on behalf of your Lord Jesus Christ lately? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the lives of these two men Two lesser-known men in the scriptures. Two men who rub shoulders with Paul. Two men who came to know the life of Paul. Two men who knew what it was to be sent out. Two men that knew what it was to be commissioned to a particular purpose... Two men that upheld the the value of the gospel. Two men that loved you, Lord. Two men that were unashamed to speak your name. Two men that were bold in their testimony. Two men that provided great care toward others. Two men that didn't look out for their own interests. Father, there's so many things about these two men. We could go on and on talking about these two men and what you did through the lives of these two men. Many of these things we're talking about, many of these things on the board up here this morning, Lord, are the very same things that you have called us to be about in Christ Jesus. The message ultimately isn't about Timothy. It's not ultimately about Epaphroditus. It's ultimately about what you've done and what you continue to do today through Christ, the one whom you sent, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the one whom you've sent, the one who now dwells within us. There was a day when you told your disciples to wait, to wait for the power from on high, And when the power from on high comes, then you are to be witnesses to me with that power. And Father, here we are some 2,000 years later. We're on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And the same message still applies for us today. To go, to make disciples, to be witnesses, 
to live the life that would show and shine in a world of darkness. I pray, Lord, that we would bear light and that we would exemplify all these things we've talked about this morning in the lives of these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Father, we just want to say thank you for your great mercy toward us. We were sick in many ways. Sick, sin sick, that is. And we thank you that it was because of your mercy that you saved us, that you rescued us, and you sent your son to take care of our sickness. So, Father, we rejoice in that and pray that as a result of what you've done, because of your great love toward us, we then would be inclined to spend our days loving one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.